As you're finding your seat, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 17, uh, and I'll, I'll begin with a story as you're turning there. Uh, I try to be a good listener. I, I'm often not, not very good at listening at all. So uh, there's a local pastor in the area um, that if you met him and, and, and he connected the dots that that you go here, that you know me, he will jump into a story uh, about, about him and me, a story of us over lunch. Um, and, and I know he'll tell you this story because over, over the last decade plus, I've, I've had more than a dozen people say, oh, I met Dave and he told me about that lunch you had and isn't that funny? And I say, yep, so funny. Uh, it is funny, actually. I just look like a big idiot. But uh, the story, I guess it's a mystery. Um, uh, and and I, I'm going to tell the fast version of it. But we were uh, having lunch together. Uh, he was telling me about youth ministry at his church. I had, uh, about maybe eight, ten months prior, I had just left my, my previous church. I'd been a youth pastor for almost seven years. So he's asking me questions about... Um, I guess, philosophy of ministry and, and, and kind of running situations by me just to kind of see how I thought about things. Uh, and we ended the conversation uh, with just two very different understandings of, of what we had talked about. I thought that I had offered to meet with his middle school youth pastor. I was going to, I uh, swear, the plan was I was going to go visit on a Wednesday night, just kind of take it all in and then get together uh, with the, the middle school pastor and, and kind of consult with him, right? Try to be helpful if I had anything helpful. Well, he had, a, he had a different understanding of what we had talked about. I'll get to that in a minute. Well, two weeks later, I actually got a call from Harvest, um, and, and they needed a part-time uh, youth pastor for one year, um, and, and I, needed, I needed a job at that time. Um, so I, I took that job. I mean, I met with the elders, and you know, we asked each other questions and uh, figured out how this is going to work and, and took that job. Um, and I called up this other pastor. And I said, hey, I'm still totally willing to meet with your middle school pastor. I'm just not going to be able to come on a Wednesday night. I'm, I'm busy now. And, and he said, oh, what's going on? He was like, oh, I just got a job at this other church um, part-time for one year as their youth pastor. And, and right away on the phone, I could tell something was wrong. Um, he was confused. And, and I don't remember if I said something or if he just jumped right in. But he said, Greg, I thought you were going to take the youth pastor job at my church. And I said, I didn't know that was an option. And he said, I was making you an offer. <laughs> uh, and I was flabbergasted. I had no, no clue, right? And, and I mean, obviously, I didn't jump ship. I stayed here. And that's where I said I was going to work. Um, and, uh, and I got to know people on that staff over, over the following years. And I asked him, like, hey, did he ever tell you about a lunch we had? And he's like, oh, yeah, we all know about that. And I'm like, wow. And he goes, Greg, that job was yours if you wanted it. And I was like, man, I, I still look back. I have no idea what happened in that conversation. I heard words, but it's like I wasn't listening at all. And this passage contrasts those who hear the gospel and listen, meaning they respond in faith with those who hear, but, but they don't listen. It's like they didn't even hear the, the words. They, they, they hear, but they find a way to reject the gospel. And it seems like today in our society, 
Uh, there are many who claim to want to know what is good, what is true, but when they encounter truth, they, they aren't really interested. They, they don't want to know what is true. They're, they're going to believe what they believe. So the question for us today is, is which are you? How do you respond? God reveals truth. How do you respond to it? Do you respond as Scripture puts it, as, as one who has ears to hear, or, or do you have ears that don't seem to hear? Like my story, what, what was said, you don't even hear what was really said. So let's jump in. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through, um, um, uh, man, I've messed up this word all week, Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica. And when, uh, or where, where there was a synagogue of Jews, and Paul went in, as, he, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And in short, what Paul does at the synagogue over multiple Sabbaths is he makes the case for Jesus being the fulfillment of the divine plan of Scripture. So one way Luke describes what he's doing, he says he's reasoning with them, right? He's reasoning from the Scriptures. These were people that believed God's Word. And, and Paul, as he so often did, he started in the synagogue. He engaged with people from the Scriptures to make an argument or to make a case for Jesus as the Messiah, and he's using reason here. He didn't ask them to turn their brains off. No, he was actually asking them to think very critically. Uh, I think there are a lot of non-Christians that think of Christianity as a religion based on feelings, right? With little to no critical thought. Uh, someone uh, teaching on this passage, I, I heard them uh, reference an old song that at least some of you, maybe many of you, will, will remember singing in church. And unfortunately, I just remember this one line um, that says, uh, it goes, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And I'm not making fun of that song. Like if you love that song and that, 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 that truth that is in that song, that's great, but it also doesn't, it doesn't tell the full story, right? There's more to knowing that Jesus lives than him living in me, like scripture, right? We have God's word to us. We have God's very word. He's revealed himself to us. We have the gospels, right? These are eyewitness accounts. Paul here, as he's speaking to uh, the people in Thessalonica, he's speaking as a witness, Right? It, Jesus, the, the risen, living Jesus, confronted him on the road. You ask me how I know he lives. It's more than uh, just uh, a warm feeling of a nearness uh, to God, which is great. Right? I'm, I'm glad when I do have a sense of God's presence. Do not, do not uh, mishear me there. I'm glad for that, but my faith in Jesus relies on much more than that. Right? It relies on, on God's word of people like Paul and other eyewitnesses, right, to Jesus' life. I want to read from the people that heard Jesus teach. I want to, I want to read the accounts from people that, that, that saw Jesus die, that saw Jesus, the, the resurrected Jesus. I want to read from people who, who watched him ascend. So are you, are you open to reason, right? We will see some of these people, they respond to reason in faith, but there are others who will not listen even to reason. I wonder, are you ever that way? 
even when presented with, with a, a solid case, a, a sound argument, will you not listen? And this happens maybe with siblings in an argument, or, or maybe, perhaps, in some marriages, this has happened before, where one or both people don't listen to reason. They're just, they're just fired up. Sometimes I'm this way, right? I'm just emotional, and, and, and my wife's making a sound argument, and I'm stubborn and prideful or whatever, and I don't want to listen. I just want to be right. And when you're not in it, and you're just watching it, it's pretty funny. But in the middle of it, man, there's nothing funny about it. But when it comes to responding to God and the person that will not listen to reason, when it comes to, say, the existence of God or, um, or, or the trustworthiness of the scriptures or uh, even historical facts surrounding the resurrection, right? If you, if you won't listen to reason in those areas, this is a problem. Luke also says that Paul was explaining and, and proving, right? What was he proving? Well, he has two parts to his argument that we see here. One, he was proving to his audience from the scriptures that the Christ, the, the Messiah, the Savior, would have to suffer, that, that he would die, and that he would rise from the dead according to the divine plan laid out in scripture. And then the second, and we'll get to more of this in a little bit, but the second point is, is that he then proclaims from there that the suffering Messiah written about in scripture is in fact Jesus. So first, the, the suffering Messiah, why did he need to prove this? Well, we cannot help but imagine uh, what something's going to be like when, it's, when, when the idea, the concept is introduced to us. So as soon, uh, as, soon as I ask you, like, oh, what, what's your next birthday going to be like? You instantly have some, some imagery that pops into your mind. Maybe, uh, maybe you think about a gift that you want. Or maybe you imagine people uh, that will be uh, at some gathering celebrating your birthday. Um, or or maybe, maybe on your birthday, the gift would actually be you being left alone, right? Like you're, you're an introvert. You need some space. Maybe, you're, maybe your kids are little right now. And, oh, man, just having a day by yourself, like with a book, a cup of tea that would be great. But, but I'm at, when I say imagine your birthday, you, you come up with something. In our family, uh, the person uh, whose birthday it is, they get to request what is for dinner. So if you ask me to imagine my 10-year-old's birthday this summer, uh, this August, when he turns 11, the first thing I actually imagine is the meal that he will want. Um, and I'm pretty confident that I know what he will want. He will ask for three things. He will ask for a tri-tip steak, he will ask for Sprite, and his final request, and probably just as important as the other two, is that no vegetables will be served in that meal. <laughs> and, and, and there's a chance that I'm wrong, but I would actually bet quite a bit that, that that is exactly what he'll ask for. Do not ask him later. He'll be so embarrassed, okay? Don't ask him. Um, but that's what he'll want. We, we cannot help but imagine. So when Israel heard of a king, when they heard of the Messiah, the Savior, they imagined and we can understand why they imagined a king that ruled like other earthly kings. That's what they had seen. That's what they'd been exposed to. Our kings were political in their power. They used military might. A king that lays down his life doesn't fit the mold. It doesn't fit our imagination. And it's funny how when we have a certain mindset that we're convinced of, how we can ignore and really not even see evidence that contradicts or that would cause us to question uh, our, our point of view or our presuppositions. 
Some of us might be worse than that, but, but all of us do that. So Paul uses the scripture to explain and prove and reason with them. And, and this is over multiple Sabbaths. So uh, I'm sure that he went to many different scriptures. I'm guessing, I'm guessing he spent some time in Psalm 2 and in Psalm 16 and in Psalm 110. I would be shocked if he didn't spend time in Isaiah 53. And I want to read you a portion of Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let me also read a much smaller portion of Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we read that, we hear that, and we've got these, these New Testament eyes. And we think, oh, it's obvious. Right? It's obvious that that was speaking about Jesus. But the, the Jews, they, they, they missed it previously, right? Maybe they didn't know what to do, do with those passages as they're thinking about the Messiah, about the coming king. So they, they kind of push it to the side for now. And, and this isn't exactly the same, but uh, man, I, I think about Christmas time in our country as believers. Right? And it's, it's uh, interesting enough that non-Christians can miss Jesus during Christmas, but but we too, believers, we are able to miss Christ in the middle of getting ready for Christmas. And, and there is so much that I love about this time. Uh, I, I love the weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, for our family, every uh, Thanksgiving, that weekend, we'll go to get our Christmas tree, right? And some of us are more into it than others. Those who care about the tree share their opinions about every tree. Those who don't, which may or may not be my boys, they say to every tree, that one's great, let's get it. Um, I enjoy Christmas lights. I'm sure sometime this week as a family, we'll drive and just take a tour and, and look at, at Christmas lights. I like giving presents. I like getting presents. 
Uh, I like the music. But man, how easy it is. Every year, it's a battle. It's easy to miss Jesus in the midst of of all the, the Christmas festivities. So we've got the next three weeks, right? We've got about three weeks, so Christmas is here. We have the next three weeks to look forward to Jesus, uh, to, to celebrating Jesus, to remembering the first coming, to, to look forward to his second. We have three weeks, and I would, I would encourage you, we have three weeks to saturate ourselves in the story of the long-awaited Messiah coming. And with our New Testament eyes, let's not miss the promised Messiah, Jesus the Christ, right? Not because we're so busy, not because we're maybe stressed about getting all the right presents or figuring out plans or, or, or just maybe just hate shopping. And the world doesn't understand why Christmas is great, right? They think they do, but they miss it. Even with, even with Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Even with nativity scenes, even with Christmas carols that truly do sing about Jesus. But it, it's great because Jesus came. And I love time with my family around Christmas and on Christmas, but Christmas isn't about my family. Right? And the challenge every year for, for myself, for my wife, Lindsay, it, it's to point each other to Jesus, to, to help point our whole family to Christ. I love, like I said, I love gift giving, but, but man, Christ is the gift. So these Jews in the synagogue in Thessalonica, they miss the scriptures pointing to the suffering Christ, right? The Christ that, that laid down his life, right? So they needed, to, they needed it pointed out to them. They needed it explained. They needed it just openly and plainly told to them that God had already told them how, who, what the Messiah would be like, what he would do so that they could then see that Jesus is the Christ. So I encourage you, Right, this month, let's slow down. Like, let, let's spend time, and I'm talking daily, let's spend time reading about Jesus. Right? You, you could easily Google Advent Scripture and, and find readings for every day. Uh, households, if, if, if you need some resources, uh, we have a resource, Advent resource page on our website. I think it's under the media tab. And, and, and maybe, uh, maybe parents or anyone, maybe you're like, man, I'm not ready at all this year. There, you can go on there, and there's a, a printable Advent um, uh, tool for you. It's called the Jesse Tree, and it has scripture every day that you can read together as a household. And obviously, you're a little behind. You have to double up for five or six days, but man, let's have ears to hear as we lead up to Christmas. So, so back to Acts, though. The, the, this word explained, it's an interesting one. Um, it, Luke uses it, and it's a very strong word. It, it literally means opening, and, and Luke uses it at least three other times. Uh, he used it in the Gospel of Luke in 2.23, describing, uh, describing the opening of the womb. He uses it much later in the book of Luke, um, in, verse, uh, in chapter 24, verse 31, on the road where the disciples are talking to Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus yet, and, and then their eyes were suddenly opened. Right? And they recognized that Jesus was the one that was with them. And then verse 32, uh, 24, 32, it says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while, while he opened the scriptures to us? So this explaining that Paul's doing in Acts 17, Paul's opening the scripture with clarity and, and even simplicity I'm sure you've experienced being around someone that, that in their field of expertise, they're just 
they're brilliant. Right? And, and you know this because you, you talk to them, talk with them about some subject in their field, and, and really quickly you're having a hard time even listening to them because you realize, oh my goodness, this person is so much smarter, smarter than me. Right? What they're saying, it's going over your head. And, and you, you can clearly tell that they know what they're talking about. You walk away just blown away. You don't understand what they said, but, but you walk away going, man, that person, like she's so smart, he's so smart. But then there are brilliant people that can explain in, in, in simple terms, right, that, that anyone can understand. And they're not necessarily smarter than that, that other example, but, but they've learned how to communicate and, and communicate really well, right? You don't, need, you don't need to take prerequisite classes just to have a conversation with them or, or carry a glossary around. So Paul, he's explaining in clear, simple terms as he opened the word of Christ to them. And once that he had proved and explained that the scripture has said the Christ must suffer, right? The Christ must die. The Christ must rise from the dead. He then proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah that scripture had always been talking about. And he made his, he made his case from scripture, right? And then he shows this, this Jesus is the Messiah, Right? This, is, this is who you've been looking for. This is who for generations we've been waiting for. Verse 4 uh, gives us the results of his, his reasoning, his proven, his explaining. It says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not, not a few of the leading women. So the first thing to notice in this verse is they're persuaded uh, from what Paul was explaining. Uh, and, and then there's action, right? They joined Paul and Silas. So they joined the believers you become a Christian and you join them. You join the gathering. You join the church. John Stott wrote this. He said, the New Testament knows nothing of an unchurched Christian. Right? So they joined, they joined them right away. It says some Jews were persuaded. Many Greeks were persuaded. And then he says, and, and not a few, which means a ton, uh, not a few leading women, right? Women of influence in that area. And Luke has done a great job throughout Acts of showing us all these different types of people that respond to the gospel. I wonder if this last group of the, the, uh, uh, the leading women, if, if Luke points them out actually for Theophilus. You might remember this book is written to Theophilus. If you go to chapter 1, uh, we, we realize that the book is written for this man named Theophilus, and he seems to have funded... Um, Luke, to write both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so I wonder, is Luke pointing out to him, as he's reading this, a group of people like him, right? People that, that are leaders in their society, people that, that, have, that have affluence and influence. And without saying it, he's saying, hey, look at the example of these people, right? They believed. Someone like you believed. You can believe too, uh, Lindsay and I went to our high school summer camp uh, for a couple days this past summer to just help out with a couple different uh, things that were going on. And uh, one of the, uh, our camp, if you don't know, it's like seven or eight churches that come together to make up this camp for our high schoolers. And uh, Lindsay and I were really surprised. Uh, There's a new church there this year, uh, I think from the Tri-Cities area. And uh, two of the people that were on youth staff there, we went to church with them like 20, 25 years ago, something like that. Uh, and, and it's been a long time, right? Uh, I think it's probably been 22 years since we've seen them. 
they look different than, than they did 22 years ago, but maybe not in the way you would guess. Uh, Melanie had bright purple hair. I'm talking as bright as can be. And the Melanie I knew 22 years ago never, uh, never had never had any unnatural hair color whatsoever. Um, so we're sitting at dinner, and I just said, why purple? <laughs> uh, I didn't know how to get into it. And, and I, I, I wasn't, it's not that I was expecting a shallow answer, but I didn't expect an answer with the depth that, that she gave me. Uh, she went right into talking about her, her kids. She has two kids that have just been through a lot and, and walked away uh, from the Lord. Um, haven't stepped foot in a church in, in years. Uh, they have, I, I think, they have zero contact with the family, or at least it had been that way for, for quite some time. And she didn't go into details, but it was clear that, that both this son of hers and her daughter, um, man, they were living hard, hard lives. I, I'm just making destructive choices in their lives. And, and obviously her, her mama heart, she just, man, as much as she wants to be reconciled to her kids, she wants her kids to know Jesus. And as she's praying for them, she's not even really fully sure where they're living, but, but praying that there would be a day when they would go to a church. And, and, then, and then she imagined, man, what would that be like for my, my kids? Like, like they, they, don't even, they don't look the part anymore for, for what you would imagine going into a church. And, and so she started praying that, that God, if, if, if you get them to a church, will you put someone there? Someone there that, that my kid sees and goes, okay, if that person can be here, I can be here. And, and then she just started imagining her own church. And, and not, not even that her kids would come to her own church, but she's like, man, I want to be that. I want to be that for somebody else's kid, right? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have purple hair. I don't know why she decided on purple, but I'm going to have purple hair. And, and maybe they'll see me and go, man, if that lady can be here, I can be here. Like, her hair color is way crazy than what I got going on. I, too, can be here. And, man, I was blown away by her answer. I thought she was going to tell me it was her favorite color or something. And, yeah, man, I, I love her heart because the good news is for everyone, right? It, it was for Theopolis, and, and it, is, it is for you as well. Verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. So th this is another way that they didn't have ears to hear. They, they were jealous. Emotionally, they were not willing for something to be true that conflicted with what they believed. And they had a, a bias as they took in uh, what Paul said. They, they had this bias that kept them from listening to Paul's reasoning, to his proving, to his explaining. These, these Jews that were jealous of the gospel response by, by other Jews, as well as the Greeks and the women of high standing, they go into the city and, and they stir up low life, right? They're, they're just finding people that they can get, get agitated and the city's in an uproar. People are shouting. The atmosphere, I'm sure, is, is, is frightening. It's disruptive, to say the least. So let's continue on. Says, uh, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. They're looking for Paul and Silas. Uh, and when they could not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And, and just a quick parentheses, this is interesting, right? It, Luke says in, in verse five, who starts the uproar? It, it's not it's not the Christians, man. It's, it's the Jews that have stirred up this crowd. And we'll get to more of that in a minute. Verse 7, and Jason has received them. 
and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So this crowd comes looking for Paul and Silas. They can't find them, so they drag out Jason. They drag out some other Christians from the house. And here's the last way that we see people not having ears to hear. They make up charges. They make up these excuses, and I think they make them up to the degree that they start to believe these excuses, so they have a reason to reject Jesus. Now, these charges are interesting, right? There's a way that you can write them off as clearly being false, right? They're manipulating, they're twisting what Paul and Silas had said in order to make these charges stick so they could snuff out these believers. But what they said also has a grain of truth. So let's, let's, start for how, let's start with how these are kind of true. The first charge, I say these men have turned the world upside down. That's not really true. Sin has turned the world upside down. And, and Christians, including myself, uh, have described the gospel or the kingdom of God as being an upside down kingdom. We say that because the gospel is, is so opposite of the world that it, it feels like it's upside down. So they bring these charges against Christians, and in a way, they are right, right? They are turning the world upside down, or really right side up. But, but that's not what they mean by it, right? They mean that they are starting chaos, right? Our city's in an uproar because of them. Well, that's not true. The city's in an uproar because the Jews stirring up the mob. Second charge, they say another king is proclaimed by these men, right? And this is, this is a serious charge in Rome that you could die for. You couldn't proclaim another king. You couldn't even predict who the next Caesar would be someday. But if we look at the apostles' teaching, even Jesus' teaching, it, it, it was clear, honor the governing authorities that God has put in place. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So they're trying to get a charge to stick, and they are right. Paul was claiming that Jesus was king, but so much more than a Caesar. This is the king of kings, right? This is the king that has the power to make all things right. This is the king that has the power to pardon our sins because he paid for them with his own blood. So yes, their charges did have a grain of truth, but they were desperately finding reasons. They're finding ways to not believe. They didn't want to hear. They didn't want to listen. Uh, I have a friend that worked at a bank. Uh, this is well over 20 years ago. Um, and uh, the bank was, was robbed at gunpoint by several, um, several men. She was down on the ground with everyone else. I can't remember if she was a teller or if she was assistant manager at that point. Um, but for whatever reason, one of the robbers targeted her and, and came in a huff right over at her pointing his gun and, and I assume that he was demanding that she get him money or, or whatever he needed um, but uh, I, I mean, you know fight, uh, fight or flight right that that kicks in well she went flight route um, and she as soon as soon as he starts yelling at her she plugged her ears and said, la, 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 I can't hear you, just over and over again. And it, you can laugh at that. She's okay now. Um, it's been a long, long time. Every, time. every time I think about it, it blows my mind that that's what she thought would work. Um, it, 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 she's okay, right? She's, she's processed the trauma, all that. But yelling, la, 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 I can't hear you, didn't make it better. Ignoring reason 
uh, or being stuck in, in bias or, or, or making up excuses won't excuse you from not believing in Jesus. I, I don't want to be a person that can look at what is true and, and, and find what I don't want to find and then try to ignore it. But that happens, right? We can reject truth because it means maybe something more difficult for us, right? We can, we can find out truth and, and try to ignore it, try to put it off because it means changing. How do you respond to truth? Right? Do you trust that the truth of the gospel, it, it's not just like a little bit better for you. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's always been God's good plan for you to, to live in light of the gospel. And maybe you're a believer, right? You responded to the gospel maybe years and years ago. Do you continue to respond to the gospel? Do you have ears to hear? Right? Do, you, do you respond to God's, God's word, to God's truth? When was the last time that you were convicted over your sin? Right? When's the last time that, that you had to confess to a, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, because the work of the Holy Spirit was, was so convicting? Right? Do, do we hear truth and respond to it? Living in his ways, even when that means difficulty. Right? Even with that, when that means painful sacrifice, right? Because that's, that is actually right where God has you. It's right where he's made you to be in this loving, caring relationship with the Father. One continuous theme that we've come up against in Acts is the difficulty, the, the persecution, the tribulation that believers face when following Christ. Yeah, last week, Paul and Silas, they're, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison. This week, there's this crowd stirred up, rioting. Who knows what they would have done to them if they had been in Jason's house. But God has so clearly been with believers as they go through this. I was reminded of a story uh, of a missionary. Her name is uh, Darlene Diebler-Rose. And in her 20s, uh, her and her husband went to Indonesia where they partnered with uh, some other missionaries. And they were uh, working in, in just a very remote place in Indonesia where there really had not been uh, a gospel presence, or at least they were not aware of, of believers being there trying to share the gospel with these Indonesians. Well, uh, they were there and, and World War II uh, started. And they were, again, in a really remote place. It was hard to get news, but, but even, even that news got to them. And then eventually the, the war actually struck really close to, to what was now their home in Indonesia. And they knew that there was potential danger in staying there. But as they prayed about it, as, as they came together with the other missionaries, they decided, no, we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here and continue to tell these people about Christ. Well, at some point, military came in and took all of uh, the, the, the men, uh, the missionary men. And, and Darlene's husband's last words to her uh, were, remember that God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And that was the last time. Those are the last words her, her husband ever spoke to her. He was killed shortly after that. She continued. She continued to work with the people. And uh, there, were, there were weeks where they remained untouched, but then there was one day when military came in and, and all the women on the missionary compound were, were taken to this, this camp, uh, kind of this, this prisoner of war camp, I, I guess. There was a commander there that, that ruled that camp of, I think it was about 600 uh, women. And he was, uh, man, he, was a, he was a bad, bad man. Uh, he, would, he would flip out w without any notice at all. Uh, and he, 
He was harsh with everyone, including his own people. He had this weird thing about flies. Like, I don't like flies at all. Like, they, they truly annoy me. Um, in the summer when flies get in my house, they, they drive me crazy. But this guy hated flies. Uh, they, they all had different jobs at the camp where they had their quotas for whatever their job was. But every person had a, had a quota to kill 100 flies per day and bring it to him, right? Like almost like this, this offering, like he wanted to see these little fly corpses. And so these 600 women every day would have to bring their 100 dead flies to him. And, and they were afraid. They were afraid that, man, if they didn't have 100, he's going to flip out on me. Well, God gave Darlene this deep compassion for the commander, even though he was brutal. He was brutal to, to her along with everyone else. And she prayed for him. She took every opportunity that she had to talk with him, she, she told him over and over about God and his love for everyone, including the commander. And she could see in his face, she could just kind of sense in him this, this battle that he was, he was offended by the gospel, right? He seemed like he didn't want to hear the truth of the gospel, but there was also this battle that Darlene could sense. She could see it in his eyes, that this inner turmoil of, uh, of hating to hear the gospel and yet part of him knowing or maybe at least wondering, is this true? So Darlene, she clung to her husband's words uh, as life in the camp was truly horrible, but she clung to that promise that God would never leave her or forsake her. Right? She knew that even in this horrible place where she was abused, that God was with her and that people like this commander needed Jesus. And the commander, at some point, he just couldn't understand. Like, if, if her God is real, if her God loved her, how could he let her go through this? And she told him that she wondered if she was going through all of this so that she could tell the commander about God's love for him. And that was just this breaking point. He couldn't take it. He rushed out of the room, but he could not hold back the tears as he exited. Within a, a, a day or two of that conversation, um, without any notice, uh, she was abruptly taken by the military police. She was accused of espionage. She was put in this maximum security cell. And, and her life was bad at the camp. It, it got way, way worse here. Uh, she endured beatings, sleepless nights, interrogations, horrible, uh, just malnourished with, with horrible rotten food at times. Um, it, it, was, it was horrible. Now, eventually, she was released from prison. Um, she actually uh, uh, found a new husband, and, and they, they continued the work in Indonesia as missionaries. Um, she actually did see the commander one more time, but I, I, I'm going to save that story for another sermon. I don't even know when yet, so you'll have to come back every week. Um, uh, but, but Darlene knew that God wasn't abandoning her. Right? God had gotten her through every hard thing, and God had helped her share about Jesus with all kinds of people that desperately needed to hear. Now, many of them, did, did, they heard, but they didn't listen. They didn't respond in faith. But there were some that did receive Jesus as Lord. In Acts 17, these jealous Jews, they heard the truth of the gospel, but they found ways not to listen. They they're find ways around responding to Christ. Right? And it, it caused chaos, and they preferred that chaos over reality of needing to be saved. They liked their ways. Right? The commander that Darlene spoke with, he had power. Right? He, had, he had control in his life. He heard the truth of the gospel. It was doing something in his heart. It was this wrestling match, but he did not want to forfeit 
what he had, even though, even though I, I think he knew in that moment the gospel was right. He needed Jesus to die for him. So what about you? Do you have ears to hear the truth of God's word? Or, or do, you, do you plug your ears because you don't want to deal with the truth? We pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. We thank you that, that we have your word and, and, and we live in a country where man, we can buy as many Bibles as we want. We have, a lot of us probably have multiple translations of your word. God, we are so, so spoiled. So I thank you for the incredible access that we have to your word. But Lord, it would all be for naught if we were not a people of your word, if we didn't respond, God, to your word, Lord. So would, would you help us to be a people that respond? God, maybe there are people here, people watching that, man, they haven't trusted in you. They've heard, maybe they've heard tons of sermons, but, but something is holding them back. Maybe it's an excuse, maybe it's a bias. I don't know. Lord God, will you help them in that? God, will you give them faith to believe in you, to trust Jesus in you, that, that you did live, that you did die, that you rose from the dead, that you've made salvation possible by faith in you. God, would you help them to believe? We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.